All right, all right, and welcome back at it again. Another edition of the Employment Law Show. Our good pal Chris Justice is here. Sam Firu to Markin LLP, the most positively reviewed employment law firm in this country, coast to coast to coast. You can check it out. Chris is here again, answering all your questions. By the way, anytime you want to reach out to Chris uh, when the show's not happening, here's how you do it: one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. That's the email address we'll use. And there's also the website free and completely anonymous. That is called pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Tons of information on there. It'll educate you even before the phone call. And rolled into that would be the handy severance pay calculator. So you want to check that at any time. You want to figure out what your severance should and could be. That's the easiest way to do it even before calling Chris. But we'll uh, we'll get to all that a little later on. I'm sure we'll refer to it several times during the show. And coming up today in between the phone calls, the emails, the topics of shattering severance myths and dealing with a bad boss. How about that? We'll get to those. But Chris, brother, we always start out with a couple issues you've been working on, situations uh, with the week that was. Pal, good morning. How are you? Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me on as always. And uh, absolutely want to sort of touch on a couple things from the top. Uh, first, I'll, I'll start with uh, some stuff that's recently going on in the news. Uh, and that has to do with individuals who are donating to the Freedom Convoy or to related mm. protests and how their employers view that and what repercussions, if any, uh, would be on someone who is, I suppose, caught, for lack of a better word, uh, donating to these organizations. Um, I know a lot of people have, you know, been asking me, you know, can I lose my job? Uh, if I do lose my job uh, over this, would I be owed severance? You know, what am I looking at sort of thing? So um, I will say that employees in Ontario are, of course, free to exercise the right of freedom of speech, uh, mm-hmm. freedom of association within the confines of the law. So that's completely fine. Um, if your employer has discovered that you donated to, say, the Freedom Convoy or a related organization or those protests, <clears throat> if you're not actually acting as a representative of the company um, in doing so, and your actions don't directly impact the company's business, your employer's business, then in my view, it's, it's very unlikely that your employer is going to be able to assert just cause and, and claim that they can therefore let you go without any severance whatsoever. Um, now, does that mean that the employer can't terminate you without cause? Uh, no. You know, and if they do terminate you without cause, uh, that's, of course, where, where severance entitlements get triggered. And that's going to come down to those usual factors like how long you've been there, how old you are, what your role is. Um, what availability of other employment out there is like, and, and of course, whether there's any kind of a contract that would limit you in some way. Um, but people should, in general, know that uh, there shouldn't be much of a risk that they'd be let go for cause and actually have that stand up in court. Um, however, if you are acting outside the confines of work and as a representative of the company, and you engage in some form of misconduct, which you know doesn't have to do with donations, Um, There is a possibility that your conduct outside could, of course, reflect very poorly on the company, impact the company's business, and potentially ground a termination for cause. But as we know, that's still generally a rare thing to be able to establish. So you want to, of course, talk to a lawyer if you find yourself in a situation like that. You know, it's interesting, too, because uh, earlier this week we had a caller on the air and he was was a truck driver and he was out of the protest in Ottawa and he was worried because he was wearing his truck driver uniform and he was afraid mm-hmm. that maybe he got on camera and so he was wondering what the situation there if he's wearing you know branded merchandise from whatever company are in your part of the protest how does that affect it same type of thing 
Yeah, I think that if somebody can connect you to a particular organization, like let's say, for example, you're wearing your company's uniform or you've got your company's logo uh, plastered over your truck, um, that, that's one factor that's going to be considered mm-hmm. in the equation, but it still wouldn't determine whether or not your employer would have cause. You know, it would come down to ultimately what it is you're doing. And, you know, for example, if you're donating to a private organization, I mean, first of all, um, how they would find that out, I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, there's going to be other factors that come into play. But, you know, that's certainly one potential issue or factor to be considered. Um, I actually have a a quick uh, sort of anecdote on this. I had a a client a long time ago who worked for a particular company. And uh, he had a truck with that company and a company uniform. And he was going around doing some work for the company. And then one of those Google, uh, I guess, vans came by, the ones that sort of take pictures of neighborhoods and use that image to to do the Google Maps stuff. Uh, There was an older couple that was looking to buy a home, and they were kind of going through Google Map and going through this neighborhood virtually. And it just so happened that one of the pictures that the Google van had taken uh, of that neighborhood was sort of captured at a time when this particular employee was doing his job. And as that sort of van drove by, the employee sort of gave a couple middle fingers to the camera, the Google camera. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, and then lo and behold, uh, months down the road, uh, this picture wow. of him surfaces on the website. And, and this, this couple that's looking for the home kind of calls his company and tells him, hey, look, I've got one of your employees on this Google map camera just flipping the bird. So uh, you never know who's watching, what you're doing, and how it can affect no your job. You always. You always want to be mindful of your actions, even if you think you know they're not going to come back to bite you in the butt. Um, but yeah, that was uh, that was definitely a, an interesting scenario. What else is going on, pal? Yeah, so I've got a, another, uh, I guess, a real life case scenario, um, a case that I settled not too long ago, and it is maybe more of a cautionary tale for employers uh, because in this particular case, uh, my client had worked for a company for about eight years. He was in sales. He had great performance. Uh, there was no prior discipline record. And, uh, eight years down the road, he gets fired. They offer him five months. He gets a termination letter that says they have just cause to terminate his employment. And we know again, how hard that is to prove and no further specifics were given. Mm -hmm. So you know, he was naturally confused thinking I've done great. I don't understand what these just cause allegations are. And he goes after the company for more severance. Um, After he commences a lawsuit, the company maintains its view that they had just cause to terminate his employment and sort of maybe vaguely reference performance related issues. But ultimately, they weren't able to establish that there was much if any issue with his performance. And uh, it ended up sort of being more of a tactical play to increase its bargaining or negotiating power with the employee down the road. Um, so by asserting that it had just cause, um, you know, essentially it was just trying to save some money down the road, but it didn't actually have, again, a ton of evidence to support its position. And you know, employers want to be very, very careful about alleging that they have just cause and you know, therefore not giving anyone any money, for example, when they're let go when the case they have, they don't really have a leg to stand on. And then they can very easily be seen by a court uh, to be acting in bad faith. Um, In this particular case as well, I mean, there was no lack, there was no warning, there was no investigation, there was no reasons, as I said, provided in terms of the dismissal. 
They delayed in getting him his record of employment. They didn't pay him anything until he actually settled the case. And the manner in which he was let go was, was um, you know, arguably bad faith. It was a very quick phone call. And then wow. just this letter that alluded to the possibility of just cause. So and what ended up happening is this employer ended up paying him not just severance, but punitive damages as well sure. um, at the point that we settled. And that's quite rare. But still, as an employer, you want to make sure that you don't kind of, you know, prematurely assert or allege some form of cause or jump the gun or, you know, you just want to make sure you treat people with civility and dignity. And uh, yeah, in this case, the employer didn't do that. So definitely uh, some food for thought for employers. And always a good time, even for, I mean, we focus heavily on the show with employees and people in the workforce, but if you're an employer mm-hmm. as well listening, always reach out to Chris ahead of time before you pull the trigger on anything like that. Advice given, of course, to uh, to employers as well. By the way, reaching out to Chris anytime and the rest of his team at the firm when we're uh, not doing the show, one 855 help at employmentlawyer.ca. Uh, i got a couple minutes here before we break, brother. Let's get into some of these, the topic for today, shattering severance myths. Number one, being quote-unquote on contract means you don't get any severance. A lot of people think that. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So, for example, somebody may have signed a contract with a company that says, we're going to have you work for you know a fixed term, so maybe a year, maybe two years, and they think that if that term comes and goes and they work that full term, that at the end of it, they're not entitled to any severance. And, that, and that's not necessarily true, uh, especially when you're somebody who has signed a, a number of contracts. So it can be very common where a company will, instead of having someone sign a contract that just says, you know, start this day and, you know, work for an indefinite period of time, they'll just have them sign six, seven, eight, nine separate contracts, each of a year or two in length. Um, And what ends up happening a lot of times in those cases is that that situation just simply gets looked at as though they're working there indefinitely. And so when that last contract may expire, again, they may think, well, I'm not owed anything because, you know, that was the term. But when you factor in all the other other considerations and all the other time and all those other contracts, they could just end up be seeing being viewed as an eight or nine or a 10 year employee who could get severance of 12, 14, 16 months. Um, so that's definitely one myth I, I want to dispel. And another sort of related issue to this is if you've got a fixed term contract, say for a year or two, and you're let go in the middle or at some point yeah. before that term is up, uh, you again might be entitled to severance, but you also might actually be entitled to the remainder of that contract's term. So you could in theory be working for a company for six year, or sorry, six months on a two-year term and then get let go. And normally, as a six-month employee, you may only get a few months of severance. But if there's that year and a half left over of that term, there, there could be a possibility where you get that entire uh, fixed term paid out and not even necessarily have to look for work. So these fixed term contracts, again, it might be a cautionary tale for employers. Um, but a lot of times, they can often mean that the payout's a lot greater than it would have been had they just had them on an indefinite sort of term contract. Shattering those severance myths. We'll continue that. Uh, more of those talking points after a short break. Uh, again, anytime to reach out to Chris, 1 821 5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. It's Employment Law Show. We'll continue. Stick around. 
All righty, welcome back to it again. Chris Justice is your guy, Sam Firu, to Mark in the most positively reviewed employment law firm in the land, helping and has helped tens of thousands of Canadians get the compensation they deserve. Not a lottery ticket, not a windfall. It's not luck. It's what you're owed, but you got to reach out and do your own due diligence about uh, receiving that and getting Chris and his team working on it for you. How do you do it? Simple phone call. Have a chat. 1-855-821-5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And again, the website we always refer to, it's been constructed and was built just for you to use absolutely free it's anonymous pocket employment lawyer.ca in the meantime brother shattering severance myths the reason why we're going through these is because so many people uh think these are true they have uh you know they've, they've talked to their buddy who got let go or their neighbor steven says no, no i'll tell you the truth here here's here's how it goes with employment law and quite often the wrong second one again is a, a myth that's a really popular one says short service employees get very little if no severance yeah, no, that's very that's a very common myth that I come across, or at least a, a misperception that that clients or prospective clients of mine have, and uh, it's absolutely not true. Uh, usually, uh, people like to think that there's this rule of thumb where you get a month for every year of service, or maybe you get a week, or maybe you get two weeks. But in the case of short service employees, uh, th- these are individuals who can often receive disproportionately larger packages, uh, severance packages than most others. And part of this has to do with the fact that regardless of how long I think you're with a company, and especially if you have a fairly senior role, it's going to still take you a certain minimum period of time probably to secure something that compares to that, whether you're with the company for a month or a year or 10 years. Um, but, but yeah, certainly these people can get a lot more than they probably think. Uh, I mean, for example, there are cases out there where someone's been working for a company for a year or less, and they ended up getting severance of eight or nine or 10 months uh, at a court. So, I mean, that's, uh, you know, basically 10 months for the year they worked, uh, which is certainly not the case. If you end up working for a company for much longer, it tends to sort of even out a bit more, so to speak. Uh, so I think that if you're somebody, especially in that role that is more senior in nature, you're making a lot of money in that role. Uh, of course, if you're older in age, that's a, that's a very relevant factor. Um, but you have very limited years of service. You could still be looking at uh, something of, of substance uh, that's quite significant from the severance perspective. Uh, of course, this, again, is is sort of determined on those factors I mentioned, like age, length of service, and position. And, of course, whether there's a contract that could limit things. but Certainly, if you're in your position, don't think that you have a very small case or that, you know, whatever your employer might have offered you is is more than reasonable because there could be a huge uh, sort of added benefit there if you just pursue it. Would you say it's fair, Chris, as well, to uh, to say that, that the pandemic in the last two years and availability of work has increased severance offers in that, in that regard? Because it may be even tougher to get the few jobs that are offered or otherwise, right? Yeah, so the court has actually commented on a number of occasions since the pandemic started as far as the effect that the pandemic itself would have on somebody's severance entitlements. And a lot of people do think that just across the board, if I've been let go during the pandemic, I should therefore get more severance. And that's, I guess, uh, another myth that I wanted to spell Um, But to the extent that your particular industry was uh, or is affected by the pandemic, and that has a result of, you know, reducing those opportunities amongst Mm -hmm. all the competition that you face, then, uh, yeah, there has been some commentary from the courts where there could be sort of a, I guess what they call like a COVID bump to to the severance package otherwise. 
We are talking uh, severance myths. We are shattering them uh, today on the show. Number three is this. Your rights to severance ex- uh, don't expire uh, if you don't accept your employer's offer deadline because there's always one on the bottom of that severance offer, right? Friday at five or whatever. You got to have this back to a sign. Yeah, yeah. And uh, again, that's something I, I encounter a lot is individuals coming to me saying, hey, Chris, I've got, I've got to sign this document within a day or two. I don't have much time. And 99% of the time, if not all the time, I'm telling them you know, not to worry. Uh, in most cases, that deadline's just being put there to, you know, of course, put you under a bit of pressure, um, get you to sign the paper. But if you were to ask the company, you know, hey, look, I need a bit more time to consider. First of all, they would, you know, in all likelihood, give you that time. You know, they don't want to generally be seen as putting too much pressure on you. Because then if you end up getting pressured and you sign something, it may not even have the effect that that's desired. So that's not really in the best interest of the company. So generally, I like to tell people, you know, if you're considering this package that they're offering, but you need more time, in all likelihood, you'll be, you'll be given that time. But your actual severance rights and what you're entitled to aren't based on any deadline. You know, as I mentioned before, it's going to be based on those other factors, um, the availability of employment, etc., contracts, whether you've signed something and the effect that would have. Um, that's what your severance entitlements are based on. So if your employer, for example, uh, doesn't decide to, to give you what you think you're owed and this deadline comes and goes, you're fully entitled to pursue that. And if you need to commence litigation to get those, those entitlements, to get what you deserve, then, then that's what you may have to do. Um, but yeah, don't think that there's some deadline that's preventing you from getting something. And if you miss it, you're kind of you're out of luck. Well, it really is. It's a pressure tactic above, above all yeah. else. And, you know, it, it's smart for them to put that on there. Really, I, I would imagine, you know, without any numbers, it's probably eight out of 10 times it works. And people just, oh, geez, I got Friday. I got to sign this sucker back. Or I'm not going to get anything. Boom, they sign it and it's game over, right? It, it, well, yeah. I mean, I would say in, in a lot of cases, it, it definitely could be game over. Uh, there could be a few exceptions, but mm-hmm. um, you're, you're absolutely correct. I mean, for all the people that I speak to on a daily basis and, and consult with, I'm sure there are, you know, much, much more people who, like you say, are just signing it, not thinking about it, being completely ignorant to what could be possible. And of course, that's kind of why we're trying to get this message out there time and time again to make yeah. sure that people know, you know, do not sign that, contact a lawyer, and, and we'll take it from there. Another myth is uh, working notice does not count towards an employer's uh, severance obligations. How about that? Break that down for us. Yeah, so so sometimes I'll I'll get someone that calls me and says, "Hey Chris, I have been offered a severance package of 6 months pay. You know, is that is that enough?" And let's say they're working for a company for, you know, 6 to 8 years. I might say to that person, "You know what? You could probably get more. You know, I don't I, I think it may be worthwhile to pursue." And then when I look at the actual termination letter, it says that they are giving this person or offering this person six months of severance, but it also says that they're actually not going to be terminating this person for, for six months as well. So then what you end up doing is you combine this working notice period of six months with the six-month, call it lump sum payment afterwards, and in most cases, the employer is going to be credited for both of those, those, those six-month chunks. So then what ends up happening is that the offer could arguably actually reflect 12 months and not six. And people think that, you know, this working notice period where they're required to work before their last day comes uh, doesn't actually count or, or can't actually count towards the overall severance package. Um, what I will say is that a lot of employers don't 
typically give huge working notice periods. Uh, and I think one of the main reasons is if you tell someone their, their job's up, you know, say three months down the road, they may not be as motivated to do that job knowing that they're, sure. they're going to be ending it. So that's, that's, I think, partly why you see a lot of companies sort of just simply say to people, you know what, you're, you're terminated effective immediately. Here's what we're willing to offer you rather than an employer saying, you know, a year from now, we're going to let you go. Um, but if they were to do that and they're within their rights to do that, you're generally obligated to, to work out that period. And, you know, as I say, there's probably going to be some credit given to the, to the employer for, for doing that. I guess, I guess it's a matter of, uh, of size and economics too. If a, an employer is looking to let someone go and they owe them, you know, they've, they've used a severance pay calculator. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I owe this person six months. They might opt to do three months severance and three months working notice just to, just to a little easier on their bottom line. You know what I mean? Yeah. As far as money's concerned. Yeah, no, there, there are definitely valid business reasons or, or can yeah. be valid business reasons for a company to do that. Um, but you know, it's just the reason, another reason why this working notice period is, is usually credited towards the employer is because by giving somebody a heads up that their job's going to be over, you know, in the near future or maybe later on down the road, you're in theory giving that person the ability to start canvassing what else is out there, right? And you're giving that person maybe a bit of time to try to get their ducks in a row uh, so that when their last day does come, um, they possibly could have something lined up. Now, they may not really have a lot of time to look for work during the working notice period since they're working, you know, depending on what their job is. But, you know, the whole idea of giving someone notice so that they can, you know, get their life sorted and maybe look elsewhere that's that's why it's usually credited towards them. Um, if they're going to let you go kind of off the bat and say you're done today, that's fine. They can do that, but you, you've got to give adequate severance um, because then all of a sudden they've got to scramble to find another job. We are talking about shattering severance myths. We'll get to one more of these here, Chris. By the way, you want to reach out anytime, one 855 That will put you in touch with Chris's team. And help at employmentlawyer.ca if you prefer the email route. This one is one of the main reasons why we started this show a decade ago, and that is the Ministry of Later can help me get my full severance entitlements. Yeah, I just actually had a call uh, yesterday from somebody yeah. who was talking to me about, you know, how they had been in contact with the Ministry of Labor, how the Ministry of Labor had sort of been taking them through the process that they needed to follow to, you know, get severance. Um, but what they didn't understand, what this individual didn't understand is that the Ministry of Labor can only, <clears throat> excuse me, get you a certain amount of severance the severance that would be owed to you uh, at minimum under law. But, you know, the difference between what your minimum entitlements at law are and what your potential maximum entitlements are can be, you know, extremely significant. So you don't want to necessarily go through the Ministry of Labor just to get your minimum entitlements, especially if by doing so, you then can't go after the company after the fact for anything above and beyond that. Because once you file a claim with the Ministry of Labor, and you're seeking, you know, some form of severance um, to commence any kind of a lawsuit or get in touch with a lawyer and pursue something after that, it is going to be impossible. So you definitely want to, you know, make sure you talk to a lawyer before, you know, again, signing anything or, or sort of going through that process with the ministry, um, because those bare minimum entitlements just simply may not be enough. Uh, now, if we're talking about unpaid wages or back pay that's owed or overtime right. that's owed, and that's a bit different than severance, there may be some more um, 
uh, usefulness or, or maybe more worthwhile to contact a ministry to, to do that. If, for example, your, your situation doesn't involve severance, but just those other items. But as far as severance is concerned, uh, it, it would absolutely not be recommended to go through that channel. I want to move on to uh, dealing with a bad boss in a couple of emails, but we'll take a, a short break before we get around to that. Again, I'll give you some contact information for uh, for Chris Justice. When we're not doing the show, you can reach out and have a conversation with Chris with any questions that arise while you're listening to this show or any other time. 1-855-821-5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. The email address right there. We'll continue. More Employment Law Show is on the way. Welcome back, Employment Law Show. Indeed, our good pal Chris Justice is here doing all the heavy lifting. Want to reach out to Chris? He can anytime, not just during the show. And to do that, one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca. And I want to remind you of the free website that was built just to help you and navigate through employment law even before the phone call. You'll learn so much and uh, walk away the smarter. That would be pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. And rolled into that is the severance pay calculator. Ever wondered, wow. I ever got let go from what you guys talk about on the show, how much am I actually owed? I know what I think I'm owed a week or two weeks per year. Incorrect. Go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, use the severance calculator, and it will spit out a very accurate number, often surprising number, after about uh, 10, 15 seconds of doing a little bit of a key punching. That's all you uh, all you got to do. want to get into dealing with a bad boss, Chris, but first an email slides in from Tara. She says, hey, Chris, my, uh, my long-term disability claim for mental health issues was just denied despite support from my doctor. When I emailed my boss about it, he said he won't be able to keep me employed anymore, but can he, uh, but can fire me in a way that will get me access to employment insurance. Is that my best option? Right, right. So before, uh, I guess, touching on the issue of termination and severance, I just want to briefly address this disability claim issue first. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, uh, our firm handles a lot of disability claims. So if you have a situation as an individual where you're being, say, denied LTD, STD benefits, definitely want to give us a call. Um, but if you are being denied these benefits and you've got valid support from your doctor in the form of you know, medical notes, what have you, uh, there's a good chance that the disability insurer, whoever's the one responsible for providing those benefits, has unreasonably denied you them. And that you would be therefore owed them or compensation in in the place of the benefits themselves. And unfortunately, it's far too common, I think, to see individuals who do have a legitimate need for disability benefits being denied by their insurer, who, you know, they may think is their friend, but at the end of the day, they're looking to save a buck likely. Um, And so this might result in these people having to appeal the denial and go through a lot of different appeal stages to stand any chance of getting those benefits. And again, that's something that, that we can definitely help them out with if they want to contact us. Um, but your entitlements for the loss of your benefits may be very significant, just as though your, your severance entitlements might be. So, so if you're in a situation, definitely get in touch with our firm. We can probably help out. Um, but moving on to the issue of termination, if, if you're someone like Tara who has maybe lost their job and it's in part due to a medical condition that you have or uh, an absence uh, from the workplace that's related to a medical condition that you have, you know, immediately the, you know, the alarm bells go off as far as whether there's any discrimination at play here. And, and even, if there's, even if 1% of the reason as to why you know you might be fired or put on a suspension or whatever has to do with your medical condition, that's going to generally be enough for a human rights tribunal to step in and say, you know, hold on a minute here. 
there's some discrimination and that's where you can get into those extraordinary damages. Um, you know, ultimately your employer cannot terminate your employment uh, based on a, a protected ground under the Ontario Human Rights Code. So whether it's disability, age, gender, you know, it doesn't really matter. Um, that's going to open up a huge kettle of fish, uh, can of worms for the employer. Uh, as far as the severance is concerned, again, you know, based on how long you've been there, age, position, etc., uh, you could as well be looking at significant severance. Um, so in Tara's case, I would say definitely contact us, um, maybe to flesh out sort of what basis the employer has for no longer keeping her employed there. And sometimes you think as well that your employers may be doing you a favor by saying that they're going to try to do what they can to, to give you access to EI benefits. But just like your bare minimum severance entitlements um, aren't necessarily the greatest thing in the world, EI benefits also aren't necessarily the greatest thing in the world. Oftentimes, they, they simply don't compare to the earnings you actually would have made had you been there. And so, you know, that's just going to be, you know, a, a stopgap, a short measure. So there, there definitely could be some bad faith at play in this case, and it may require a bit of fleshing out. But, you know, I'd have, uh, if, if you're someone like Tara, you definitely get in touch with us and we can take it from there. Tara, appreciate the uh, the email. You know the number now, one 821 And yeah, as uh, Chris mentioned off the top, San Fury to Markin has the one-two punch of covering both mm. employment law, which we discuss on this show, and disability law because there is so much crossover between the two. So you want to exactly. keep it in-house. It's more efficient. It's better to work that way. There's better communication. So uh, in any regard, reach out to Chris and uh, and his team. Okay, dealing with a bad boss. This has probably uh, come to fruition more in the last two years because it's been confusing for everybody and bosses making steps maybe outside the boundaries of what they should be doing. So we'll uh, we'll discuss a little bit here. Number one, what are the common bad bosses or what are, what are the most common bad bosses employees may encounter in your experience? You know? Yeah, so I would say whether we're talking pre or post pandemic, this has definitely been a constant theme in my practice as far as people coming to me and saying they've got some sort of an issue with their boss or, um, uh, you know, with, with the person that they report to the manager, what have you. And I would say that the most common types of what I would call bad bosses uh, would be, I mean, obviously, you know, the more extreme examples where you've got a boss who is harassing you, whether it's sexual or otherwise, uh, completely unrelated to, to anything having to do with work. And, and clearly that's very problematic. You've got other bosses who may not do that, but may put a lot of pressure on you to get work-related tasks done. You know, you may feel as though they're sort of breathing down your back uh, or your neck and, and telling you that they need this, this, and this done by this day. And, you know, it's a very high-pressure situation. Um, or you may have a boss who is overloading you with work. Um, and, and again, this may be sort of more topical as far as since the pandemic's gone, gone on, but... A boss that's overloading you with work in the face of, let's say, your your objection or refusal, and the boss simply has has no sympathy and just simply tells you to get it done. Right. Um, and, and so you've got these sort of also these micromanaging bosses who are very particular and nitpicky, and that can of course lend itself to to contributing to a stressful work environment. Um, but what I will say, generally speaking, is just because you may have a, a so called bad boss. Uh, does not necessarily mean that you would be able to simply quit and get your full severance. So it's 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 a tricky situation. 
Again, reaching out to Chris anytime. We always tell you to do that if you're confused by uh, anything of these matters. one 821 5900 Dealing with that bad boss. At what point do you know you have to do something about that bad boss? When do you pull the trigger on that? Yeah, I think that that would depend on the individual. Um, I, I think that once the environment becomes toxic, uh, and that's you know a phrase that's been um, discussed with myself and many other clients and prospective clients of mine, or simply when you just can't accept it any longer. I mean, if you are someone who has reached your breaking point and you are considering potentially just leaving or quitting, uh, I would say that that's definitely one point in time when something has to be done. You know, you've got to, of course, raise your concerns first and foremost. But I think it's when it becomes particularly intolerable uh, and especially if the issues you're having with the boss are not work-related, something needs to be done because otherwise it's just going to continue on and the company may just claim that it was ignorant to to whatever was going on or was never brought up. So you want to act quicker uh, sooner than later. Reach. Yeah, we'll take a short break. We got lots more to go. Thought I heard the thought I heard the music coming up behind us. In the <laughs> meantime, reaching out to Chris, write this down. Help at employmentlawyer.ca and that phone number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. We'll continue. Employment law show. All righty, back at it for a few minutes. Uh, Chris Justice is your guy reaching out. Sam Firu to Mark and LLP. That is the firm. That is the number right here. one 821 5900 That's to reach Chris after the show, by the way. And email anytime, help at employmentlawyer.ca and the website, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca for all matters concerning uh, employment law. It's free, it's anonymous, and uh, the Severance Bay Calculator. Andy Tool is there anytime as well. We're talking about dealing with a bad boss um, you talked about the various points of what you should do and most common types of bad bosses are, okay, so now you have, you realize you got a bad boss. What do you do? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I said before, you've got to communicate in some way and the way in which you communicate could depend on the situation. Um, you know, depending on how bad the boss is or what exactly the boss is doing, it may not be appropriate to, you know, um, confront that individual themselves. Um, it, you know, if it's maybe less senior, uh, less severe rather in, in nature, uh, you may want to consider having a discussion directly with your boss, especially if you have a, you know, a decent working relationship otherwise. Um, but if it's a more sensitive matter, uh, it may not make sense to do that. Uh, you'd probably want to consult the policies that the company has as far as there being a particular process to follow in terms of reporting maybe issues that you have, whether it's with a boss or otherwise. Uh, you know, your company's going to likely have a defined uh, harassment policy, for example. So if the issues revolve around harassment, you may want to look there. Uh, and again, that may not be a situation where it's going to exactly be as comfortable to deal with the boss directly on. Uh, mm-hmm. HR may, may need to step in. So there may be these protocols and you want to, as best you can, try to make sure you follow the protocols just so that you can say as well that you did so and that the company maybe later on, if there is an issue, uh, won't be able to make any kind of argument to, to sort of that particular item. Um, but yeah, you've got to communicate. You've got you've to put your communications in writing. And I know we've talked about this many times before as far as document, 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 you know, these, these interactions. Um, far too often people have conversations with their bosses, with HR, with whomever, and there ends up being this battle of he said, she said. 
And if people could just document it, even if the company's not going to document it, just to follow up, hey, look, we had this discussion. This is mm-hmm. what we talked about. These were the issues I presented. This is how we you know, decided to resolve them or the, the game plan that we put together. And then you just send that their way, and then you've got something. And uh, as I say, if later on down the road there, there ends up being some issue, you might be able to go back and rely on those documents and say, well, hold up a minute. I, I, I approached my boss or I approached this person. I was looking to kind of address things and, you know, you guys should have done something essentially. Yeah. It's interesting. We often say that now that especially now, I guess a lot more people, uh, you know, working from home or doing a hybrid situation, these meetings or these conflicts, if you're addressing problems with your boss might be done over the phone. So have a pad of paper and a pen and just take some contemporaneous notes and then, you know, put that into an email and, uh, and send that off. I think it's probably the, uh, the best bet. As far as that uh, that stuff is concerned, Chris, again, uh, anytime you want to uh, give us a call, we've got a few minutes to go here, but I'll get to another point about dealing with a bad boss. You've tried to deal with a bad boss, but things haven't changed. So now what do you do? Yeah, so I guess uh, it would depend in part on everything that you've done up until that point. But if you have followed all those channels, um, you know, done everything that's asked of you in terms of those processes... Uh, put things in writing, created a bit of a paper trail, you know, you may want to, um, and I would say, well, I would say, first of all, contact a lawyer for sure, because each step could be crucial in terms of timing and, and what you do and, and sort of who you communicate to. But you, you may want to kind of point out to the company that, you know, look, I've done this, I've done X, Y, Z, nothing's happening. And it could very well be a situation where the company or someone at the company is trying to protect that boss. Maybe, uh, the boss is friends with the owner, and now you're sort of in this sort of political situation where you're kind of the odd man or woman out. Um, and it, again, could be a situation where there's definitely unfairness that's going on there. There's some bad faith that's going on there. You know, your your concerns are being dismissed, even though they're legitimate and well documented. And if the company simply wants to turn a blind eye to it, or the company comes to a conclusion that is drastically different than you know, what, what you're complaining of, because sometimes they do investigations and they come to a completely opposite, you know, determination. Um, if you've got a solid case there, you definitely don't want to stand and just accept that as is. And you want to get in touch with a lawyer to sort of address that and, and also talk about what the next steps might be, if anything. Let's get to a, a quick call in between with a few minutes we got left. Uh, Alan, thanks for, for hanging on. How are you? Not too bad. Thank you. Good. What's on, uh, what's on your mind? Well, I'm on long duration leave and I'm thinking of borrowing some money and uh, from my bank and a substantial amount. And uh, I was wondering, uh, I've never, you know, I've always, insurance has always been good and pay me, but I have to show proof of income to the bank to get the loan. And the only income I have is from my insurance disability payments. So apparently I can get a letter from them saying how much they pay me and my CPP also disability and how much taxes they take off. But I'm wondering, when I ask that for that letter from them, is there going to be a flag to them? We're going to go, or they're going to say something like, oh, this guy's getting some money, so maybe we'll take that off what he's making, or will it be a flag for them to pull out, or is it not considered income, is my question. Yeah, so first of all, I'll just start off by saying I'm not specifically a disability lawyer per se. And again, I know we have lots of lawyers at our firm who specialize in that, and that may be something you want to touch base with them on. But in terms of taking out a loan, I wouldn't say that constitutes income. 
Um, and, and there shouldn't be, from what you're saying, there shouldn't be too much of an issue in your employer uh, or, or maybe the disability insurer providing that information so that, you know, that, that, so you can get what you need. Um, but if that company is going to try to say that the loan you took out should offset the payments or the benefits that you're getting through the disability program, because you said you were on a disability leave, um, my, my first instinct is to say, no, that, that's not the case. Uh, if, uh, on the other hand, of course, you were actually working in some capacity and earning money, then, then that's a bit different. But, but loans, loans are, are treated differently than that. So I wouldn't say off the top that, that, that would be a concern. It doesn't seem to me like that would be viewed as, you know, employment income for the purposes of the law. Alan, appreciate that call. That's the way we got to wrap it up for today. And uh, again, as as Chris mentioned, you want to reach out to the, I, I said this, that's why they have a whole disability side of the firm Absolutely. and how you can reach out to Alan or anybody else for that matters. We're going to wrap it up. one 821 5900 That's the number. Help at employmentlawyer.ca email. And finally, the website, any other time, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Chris, you're awesome. We'll catch you next time. This has been Employment Law Show. Have a great weekend. Thanks as always.